Good evening. Welcome to Hope Community Church, Lower Town. Glad, glad you're here with us. I feel like things are finally going to get back to normal around here. Just no more holidays and Super Bowls and that kind of craziness going on. So hopefully we'll, we'll get this figured out and get back to uh, the normal feel of things around here. So thanks for being here. Glad you're here. Um, a couple of things I want to talk about before uh, we kind of we dig into the passage and, and a couple of things that happened recently um, over the Super Bowl weekend. But I did it real quick. I wanted to um, touch on what uh, Danica was talking about with LDI. Uh, I did it, uh, LDI, Leadership Development Institute, um, three years ago or something like that, and uh, really, really loved it. And if you are at all considering, not even necessarily considering ministry or full-time ministry, we just say, you know what, I want to take a year off from work. Um, it is full-time. It's a lot of work. It really is. And I want to focus on my relationship with Christ, my relationship with others, uh, building a community with people. I have some of my best friends that came out of that year. It's, it's kind of like college. You're just always with these people. Um, and at the same time, learning how to better my ministry skills. And, uh, and it was really an incredible time. I was just talking with a guy beforehand that I feel bad kind of promoting LDI because I'm a teacher at an LDI. So it's kind of like, it's great. You guys should check it out. And it's like, you know, it's kind of self-promoting. I'm, I'm amazing. I'm the best teacher. And that's, that's not it. Um, but anyways, if you have questions about that, I would love to, uh, to, to talk to you about that. And, and if you can, make it that lunch. If anything, get a free lunch out of the deal and, and you're good to go. So anyways, that's that. Um, I did want to talk about uh, what we did this past week in downtown. So if you don't know, our downtown campus is, is across the street, basically, from uh, the U.S. Bank Stadium where the, where, where the, uh, where the Vikings normally play. Um, but it was the Super Bowl, and so they weren't there. But I was not trying to be a jab. I didn't mean to. I'm just going to move on. It's right there. It's right downtown next to the stadium, okay? And um, we as a church, uh, even here in St. Paul, we're, we're only five months into this and in this location. And so we're learning and getting to know people and different uh, um, resources and, and, and groups that, that meet here in this building even that we want to be able to help and support um, with our uh, resources and with our just manpower that we can help out with that. And I'll keep you posted on ways that we can um, serve St. Paul. But we do care about Minneapolis as well. We care about these cities. And, and we really believe that when we as believers flourish, that we help the city flourish. That when we save people from sin and we, we share the gospel with them, that, that all boats in the harbor rise. And this comes from Daniel, all right? So that the Israelites are sent into exile and God tells them, I want you to bless the city. I want you to live in the city. I want you to buy homes in the city. I want you to start businesses in this city. And it was a pagan city, right? That we as Christians aren't just supposed to build our walls and build our little communes and just live in it and protect ourselves from, from those people outside. But we're actually called to, to help and to bless in any way that we possibly can. And so this was one way that we tried to do that, uh, that Hope Community Church partnered with the Minneapolis Police Department and with Source. Source is a ministry that uh, has been working in the just urban areas, sharing the gospel in urban centers for quite a while. Uh, but recently, at least in the last seven, eight years, they really changed their focus, primarily looking to help um, men and women, uh, boys and, and women that are uh, being exploited for sex trafficking. And so uh, we turned and transformed our church downtown just basically into uh, a hostel, if you want to call it that, but it was a nice hostel. Uh, it had tables and lamps and, and not bed bugs and all those fun things. And, and uh, it was great. So you can kind of read it there. It was open 24-7. A lot of work went into this. A lot of the interns put a lot of time into this, as well as Rob Worland. If you know who he is, if, if you're a friend with him, man, shoot him an email. Uh, he did a lot of hard work with this. Um, so 24-7 for a full week. Uh, there was 20 beds available for uh, women who were able to come in and that the police either would bring in, say, hey, this was, this was uh, uh, someone who needed help or people who just walked in because they saw that we were doing this and offering food and um, that kind of thing. And so food were, foods were being donated by a lot of different people. We actually had to buy a new freezer downtown just to uh, hold all these freezer meals that we were able to give out and give back to Source as well. 40 plus churches were involved. We had 200 volunteers over the week, 1,000 plus of hours, um, and uh, had a lot of donations. 10,000 plus dollars were given to this uh, to be able to help these women. Um, and it's my privilege, and I, and I, uh, I didn't think I was gonna get choked up, but here I am. Uh, but 40 women, 40 women we were able to uh, get out of that, uh, get out of that sex slavery um, is what it was, and um, able to help them. And so. Uh, I want to thank Rob. I want to thank Jesus. Yeah, right. 
Um, I don't have all the information on that, but if you would like more information or want to know how you can get involved with things like this in the future, uh, please feel free to shoot uh, Rob Worland an email. It's just rob, R-O-B, at hopecc.com. So um, excited about that, and, um, and we want to keep doing things like that in the future. So, okay, moving on. Uh, we have been in the Gospel of Moses, or the Book of Exodus. That's what we've been talking about for a couple weeks now. And so I guess I think I just forgot to delete this slide. So, yep, that's the guy. Um, gets, it never gets old. I don't know why, but it, there he is. Um, and, it, and it's interesting. Uh, Danica was just up here talking about the names of God. And tonight we're going to look at the, the power that is behind the name of God. And she read a few of them, uh, which is, they're, they're so incredibly powerful. And there's powers with, within names. And, and you might not be familiar with the play, uh, The Crucible. But when I was in college, um, I had the uh, opportunity to be uh, John Proctor. So he's kind of the main guy in the crucible. And if you don't know the story, this is about the Salem witch trials. Um, and so now I'm drawing a blank on who the author is. Miller, uh, Arthur Miller, right? Arthur? Arthur Miller, right? So he writes this play, and it was kind of this uh, allegory for being a uh, Soviet spy, right? That everyone back in the, you know, uh, 60s, or I guess early in that, 40s and 50s, that if, that if my neighbor said, oh, he's a communist, what would happen? Well, the FBI would knock on my door and say, are you a communist? Uh, and if you confess to it, and then they'd be like, okay, well, then you confess, you're okay, you'll just go to prison. But if you, if you didn't confess to it and somebody blamed you for being a communist, bad things happen. So he kind of writes this, oh, this, this sounds familiar, this is kind of like the Salem Witch Trials. And so it happens in this, and it's been a long time, and I forget all the names, but oh, I've got another picture here. You can't really see anything. Um, I'm the short guy in the back, actually, between these two guys here. Uh, I think they were on their tippy toes. You know guys do that, right? We all do that. You're in the back row, and everyone just kind of pops up on their tippy toes. They did that. I know, though. That one guy was my roommate. He was not six inches taller than me. Um, anyways, in this, in this story and in this play, uh, John Proctor, my character, actually ends up having an affair uh, with a young woman. And this young woman, though, she ends up getting in trouble. And so to get herself out of trouble, she ends up telling the, the, the local parish and the priest that, that everyone's a witch. And so she, this girl, wants to have a further relationship with John Proctor, and so she says, uh, Mrs. Proctor, uh, Goody Proctor, they called everyone Goody. Goody, I don't know why, there must be a reason for it. But Goody Proctor, uh, she, I saw her dance with the devil. And so these girls had visions of people who were witches, and they were God's gift to the world. And so the parish and the people would come to them, and they'd get judged, and they'd say, uh, are you a witch? And if people said they were a witch... If they confessed to being a witch, then uh, their name would obviously be marred, that they would uh, go on living in this society as a witch. But if they wouldn't confess to being a witch, they were killed, right? They were hung. There were times where they would take them and they would, they would tie them. This is true. This is a true story. They would tie them to a plank of wood and they'd throw them into a lake. And they said, if you sink, then, then, you're, then you're good. If you sink, that means you're not a witch, but if you float and you survive, that means you're a witch, and you're going to be branded as a witch. What? Right? It's a, it's a lose-lose scenario here. And so these individuals are being blamed, and so the, the, it comes down where my character, John Proctor, uh, his character, where he is being accused, that he's called out, he's, he's a witch. And he just thinks this is obviously all dumb, and he says, I'm not going to die for this. And so he ends up signing a confession that, yep, indeed, in fact, I am I am a witch. I've confessed it. And so the judge then has this sheet of paper, and he said, no, no, no. He, he, he confesses it, and the judge says, okay, if, then sign your uh, statement. Sign your, the thing that you just said. And he says, no, I'm not going to sign it. And he's like, well, you, you have to sign it. He says, yeah, but then my name's attached to it. I've just confessed it to you, to the judge. I'm a witch. But I'm not, I can't sign that. My, my kids are going to see that piece of paper. You can't. And they said, no, you, either you sign it or you will hang as a witch. And the line that he says that is so powerful, he says, I have given you everything, just leave me my name, right? Because there's something about our names that go with us, that carry forth with us, that will never leave us if we mar that, All right? We, we know this is true uh, with, with negative ways, right? I don't know too many Adolphs uh, running around these days. I, at least I haven't met one. I don't know too many Judases. Uh, I have never met a man named Judas, just haven't, haven't done it. 
uh, or Rahab, right? It's a, not a very popular name because of the negative connotation that we find in our Bible or just popular culture. Uh, and so uh, that's what happens. Now, my name, uh, I may have shared this a long time ago, doesn't really mean anything. My name is Brian. And the story's told that when we were at the hospital, my four-year-old brother, because uh, I'm the youngest, right? So we got there, and my parents were like, oh, shoot, we didn't think about names. Um, we should probably do that. And so they said, Matt, you know, who's four at the time, what would you like your little brother's name to be? And he said, Brian, thank God. Uh, at least it was somewhat normal. And uh, they're like, you know, oh, I guess we need a middle name. Oh, it happens to be Christopher Columbus Day. So that's just name is middle name Christopher. So um, that's how I got my name, right? Just, just, it doesn't, there's no other meaning behind it uh, other than I'm named after a slave trader. But uh, anyways, um, uh, in our culture, in our society, names don't really mean as much as it used to, right? That, that uh, names used to carry so much that the, the word that it was actually meant something. So Adonai meant Lord, right? We don't call somebody Lord, but that's what they would do as a, as a name. And so we're going to see God reveal himself, who he is, to Moses in the burning bush. And so that's where we're going to be going. I don't know what happened here. That was last week's title. I tried changing this 18 times, and it kept going back to this. So that's not the title. The title is The Burning Bush, um, which doesn't really matter. But anyways, it's The Burning Bush. That's where we're going. So I want to go back a little bit to when Moses flees Midian. Okay, so if you weren't here last week, that's okay. Uh, but I have this, this image here, and it just kind of shows the area where you've got Jerusalem to the right, and then you've got kind of Egypt where it was, and this large desert. So Moses would have traveled a good 150, 200 miles south uh, east to get down to Midian. And so he flees. And so I'm going to read Exodus 2, um, 11 through 25, and just um, we'll, we'll, we'll just read through this real quick. So Exodus 2 says this, one day after Moses had grown up, which we'll find out later, that means when he's 40 years old. All right, so when he's a, he's a man, I'm a man, I'm 40 years old. Um, anybody get that reference? Okay, a few of you. Sports, sports thing, doesn't matter. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his people were and watched them at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler to judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. So Moses, uh, skipping forward here, he, he flees out into the wilderness and says, and Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses and marriage. We're going to learn that his name is Jethro. And Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And during that long period, so this is going to be another 40 years that Moses is out in the wilderness, so now he's getting close to 80 years old, the king of Egypt died. And the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God, and God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned. He had pity on them. He looked at them and saw their need. So that's where we've been. This is now where Moses sees the burning bush. And so let's, let's look at this uh, passage here. So this is Exodus 3, 1 through 22. This is a longer passage um, of Scripture, and so even on your handout, even the tiniest font I could get, I couldn't fit the whole passage on there. Um, and so I'm not actually going to just take the time to read through all those verses, but I assure you I'm not skipping any. We will eventually, throughout the service, read through all these 22 verses, but just wanted to give you a heads up there. Normally I read through them, but um, just time permitting, we're not going to do that tonight. Exodus 3, 1 through 22, at least this first chunk here says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Remember, this isn't a priest of, of Yahweh. This isn't a, an Israelite. This is a priest of Midian. He was a priest that worshipped the Druze, right? He, was, he believed in, in reincarnation. Now once he died, that he, if he lived a good enough life, he would eventually uh, pick up and, 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 and live again a better life. And so he's a priest of Midian. And, and Jethro is regarded, regarded to this day in, in high regard with the Druze that are still a religion. So he's the priest of Midian, 
And so Moses, he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. All right, now we need to remember here, uh, this mountain is going to eventually be changed to Mount Sinai. But this mountain of God, it's not like the name of it. Like Moses wasn't out with his sheep and he's like, hey, today, why don't we go check out the grass by the mountain of God? That's not the name of it, but Moses is writing it here, and he says, this is where I came. This is eventually going to be Mount Sinai. This is where God is going, or Moses is going to go up to this mountain, and he's going to talk with God. So that's the same exact place. So it will be Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments are going to be written. But that's not yet. Um, and it was kind of cool. I was walking around here uh, during the worship uh, practice, and I was looking at these stained glass windows, and there's so much symbolism. Symbolism. Sim, that's easy for me to say symbolism in these, and, and one of them in the top corner, the second one back there, has um, uh, the Ten Commandments are on it, and it's interesting, there's symbolism, and not just in the picture of two stones, but one of them has one, two, three, four, and the other one has five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right? Why wouldn't they just split them five and five? Mm, we'll get there in probably a month or two, but I'll explain that and why they did that. But that one there, uh, the second or third one in, there's a woman gleaning, right? We talked about that last week. Why don't you trim the corners of your field? Mm, well, it's enshrined in glass there. Pretty cool. Anyways, that had nothing to do with anything. That's not its name yet. So he gets to this, this uh, mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And again, all caps, Lord, doesn't mean the Lord. It means Yahweh in our scriptures. So when it's all caps, it's, it's Yahweh. And so I'm just going to read it that way. I think it just helps set the, the tone a little bit more. And there the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in flames from within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. So Moses thought... I will go over and see this strange sight and why the bush does not burn up. I'm sure we would all do the same. Maybe some of you would run away. That's freaky. I'm out of here. I don't know. But he wanted to go check it out. So, uh, and this, I, I, I like what this author says uh, about this burning bush. He says this, because of his omnipotence, that's God, his uh, all-present, which again, that, that one back there has got the eye of God, the all-seeing eye of God. He's everywhere, but it's a good thing. It shouldn't be a negative thing. Because of his omnipresence, God is not limited to any space. Therefore, when he occupies a small space for purpose of revelation, he typically does it by representation. All right? So he's everywhere at once, then how does he show himself in the little space? He has made humans his representatives to do his will. He creates us in his image, that we are image bearers of God. He says, don't make any graven image. You are to go and image me by being human and being truly human. Don't revert back to being animalistic. And on this little space in the universe that we call the earth, and he has chosen angels to be his representatives from heaven to earth. But he sometimes has specially represented himself in human form, such as through the angel, who could be called Angel Yahweh, right? The angel of the Lord, but the Lord is all caps. Angel Yahweh, uh, who was not all there, but was a true and real representation of him. Much as a video conference, conferencing call brings a valuable sense of the presence of an individual into a room through a video screen and speaker, visibly and in voice, even though the individual has not actually is not actually fully present thereby. All right, it's kind of a weird analogy of, are we talking about God and the burning bush as like a video conference call? Uh, yeah, all right, I think he's just trying to connect the bridge. What, what is this like that, yeah, when I'm on a video call, I'm not fully there, but it's very close. Um, it's tangible. I can see and hear, and so um, that's what's going on here. Um, funny story, I was, uh, when I was getting my, um, getting assessed to be a church planter, I had to do a conference call with a guy who, uh, he was in England, in, in Nottingham. Uh, they have very uh, unique uh, accents compared to London. And so this guy, uh, I won't name his name, uh, well, whatever, his name is Matt, it doesn't really matter. You don't know him, he lives in Nottingham. And, um, and so he, 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 I get on the phone call with him, and I'm talking with him, I can see him, and we're chatting, and, and he just says, hey, to cut down distractions, um, I'm going to turn my video screen off, why don't you turn your video screen off? I'm like, oh, it's like a phone call. Right? Like we could have just had a phone call, but yeah, okay, yeah, we can, we can do that. So we stopped the video conference of it and just had the audio conference. So anyways, that's interesting. All right, Moses answers. All right, Moses answers the burning bush. I, can I give you give insight into my life, Kay? Can I just do that real quick? 
I have to write notes to keep myself on track, okay? So the more I go off crazy, it means I have very little written down, okay? Just, just so you know, okay? So there's very little written down uh, tonight. Moses answers the burning bush, all right? Exodus 3, 1 through 12, again, he says this. The Lord saw, Yahweh, then Yahweh saw that Moses had gone over to look, and God called to him from within the bush, Moses Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And the interesting thing about this is that anytime the presence of God is somewhere, especially when he's manifested himself in his presence, it becomes a holy place. Right, that when God shows up, and we're going to read other passages, that, that God fills a space, it is holy. That he makes it holy. And again, maybe getting a little ahead of ourselves, maybe connecting the dots into our, our culture and our society and our town and this covenant now, because the Holy Spirit of God himself indwells us, we are therefore declared holy. That we are holy, because God doesn't see my sin. That's Removed as far as the east is from the west. He sees the holiness of Jesus Christ himself on my shoulders because I am indwelt with his Holy Spirit. Then he said, right? Okay, this is um, uh, something, I had this in my notes. This is called progressive revelation. All right, so what, what happens when you get back to Genesis chapter one, it says, in the beginning, God creates, okay? And God starts to reveal who he is, okay? So, so if we're in, in Moses' shoes, what does he understand about God? Right? He knows that, that there is a God, there's one God, there's not all these gods like the gods he used to worship in Egypt. Right? But this hasn't been written down. They don't have scriptures. Moses is the author of Genesis. He hasn't gotten to writing this stuff down yet. All right? So his understanding of who Yahweh is has all been handed down by tradition by telling stories, by passing that on. There wasn't any scriptures at this point. And so God is revealing himself, and the way that he tells Moses who he is is by saying, hey, remember these stories that you were told? Remember who you are? Remember who your people are? So God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Because before God the Father, before Yahweh identifies himself as this God, Moses is thinking, who am I talking to? Right? He, does, he has no idea who this deity is that he is conversing with. And then Yahweh identifies who he is, but Moses knows who this is. This is the God. I know this one. And so at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And Yahweh says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned. I have pity on them. Again, I'm not going to get into the, 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 all of this again, but consulting the biblical road, road map, I went over this last few weeks and just, just kind of looking at the point four there, and that's all we need to know about. So if you're not, you don't, don't know what any of that is, uh, it's fine. The fourth point when I'm trying to study scripture is when I read a story about the holiness of God coming out in glory and Moses saying, uh, yep, he, here I am, does that ring a bell? Is there any waltz in Scripture where this happens? And so, again, if you don't know, like, man, I, I'm just not that familiar with Scripture, um, get a study Bible, uh, go online, uh, and, and, and it just does that. It's the same thing I do. I go online and look at different things and connectors here. Uh, I don't have the whole Bible memorized, and, and you probably don't either. And I'm not the expert on this, but there are other people who are far better about this than I am. So, um, Isaiah chapter 6, and this is, this is where things get interesting. If we look at this biblical roadmap, is there any other, anywhere else where this happens? In the, cure, in, the, in, the cure, in the year that King Uzziah died, King Uzziah was a good guy. Right, when you go through the Old Testament, there's like good kings, bad kings, bad king, bad king, good king, good king, bad, good, good, bad, good, good. It's just kind of all over the place when it comes to Israel and who worships Yahweh and who says, I'm going to do my own thing. I like those gods better. They let me party more than this God does, so we're just going to do that. But Uzziah was a good one. He stayed true to God's word. And so in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah's talking, he says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, 
And the train of his robe filled the temple, right? The train, a large train just symbolizes honor. Um, I don't remember this. I know I've seen images of it. I don't remember what year it was, but Princess Diana, when she got married uh, in Westminster Abbey, uh, that her train, I guess, from the altar all the way out to the back of the building that her train went, right? I'm, this is an honorable person. It signifies honor, and that's what's the symbolism that's going on there, too. In verse 2, above him were seraphim, these angelic beings, and each one had six wings, and with two wings they cover their faces. And even though that they are sinless beings that have never been able to sin or have never sinned, they have to cover their faces because they dare not look at the ineffable, unapproachable holiness of God. And they cover their faces, and with two, they cover their feet. They cover their creatureliness. And with two, they fly, and they're calling out to one another. I, I love this imagery. These cherubim and seraphim, this passage, are, they're hovering over the, the throne of God, and they cry out back and forth to each other in genuineness, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, Yahweh Almighty, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. And the other one's over here going, yeah, yeah, hey, that was good, but listen, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is filled with his glory. And this guy, again, just, oh, that, that was great. This just happens over and over and over. And the symbolism behind them saying, holy, 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 it's the only time in our scriptures and only attribute that's ever given to God that's repeated three times. We're going to get to passages later on, and Jesus does this a lot in his teaching, where he says, verily, verily. In Hebrew, when you, would re when you, uh, say, when you repeat something, repetition means something. And the only attribute that's given to God is holy, holy, holy. In other words, his righteousness is a holy righteousness. His love is a holy love, and even his spirit is holy spirit. Everything about God is holy. And I also, maybe, this is, maybe I'm just reading this a little bit too much, but it seems like when there's meaning and, and passion behind repetition, it brings God glory. That I think that we need to, we need to pay attention to what we sing, I, and, I, and I felt guilty of this. All right, man, we just, we just sang that chorus four times. You know, we just repeated that over and over again. <laughs> it seems like when, when the people sing and it mean it, God enjoys that. Anyways, that, that, uh, I could be reading that too much. At the sound of their voices, so these angels' voices, the doorsteps and thresholds shook the temple, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. This refining fire that happens to Isaiah here in this moment. And then I heard a voice, Lord, saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Moses, Moses, here I am. Who will go for us? Here am I, send me. Growing up, if you grew up in the church, we used to sing songs about this passage. Here am I, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Uh, that was, that was the, exactly how it was. Um, and it was all about, I want to dedicate my life to missions. And we would, we would use this passage. I want to I be a missionary. Right, God, here am I, send me, whatever it may take, please, let me, let me go and do this. But what they never read to me when I was like, yeah, I want to give my life to Jesus, was the next verse. And the, and the, the following passages that happened to uh, Moses and to Isaiah are not very pleasant. And he's like, okay, good, I want you to go to my people, and I want you to preach to them, and they're going to hear, but they're not going to understand. No one's going to convert. No one's going to believe a word you say. Isaiah's like, well, uh, can I... Can I, can I not do that? I know I already volunteered for it, uh, but can I not do that? No, that's not an option. Okay, okay, how long do I need to do this? And he's like, until the city's lying in ruin. Uh, what? Moses, I want, you to go, I want you to go back to Egypt, the place you just fled 40 years ago because you murdered somebody. I want you to go back, and I want you to set my people free. Uh, listen, when we give our lives to Jesus, Nowhere in Scripture does it say it's going to be easy. Nowhere. 
We are privileged. We live in a country and in a, a city where we have uh, privileges. But I, I'm not worried uh, about the police or my city breaking down my door at night because I'm a pastor, because I'm a preacher. I, I'm not worried about that. It doesn't keep me up at night. Now, we have privilege, but I think there are times, and so, uh, and I want to talk about this, at times I think that we as Christians in our culture, that when we say to Jesus, to King Jesus, nah, I'm in, I'm here. What are we doing? And so, and so I want to, this is, this, is this is a hard thing for me, because I don't want you to feel like guilt or shame or holy cow, Brian hates us. It's not, it's not it at all. I love you so much. Uh, you do keep me up at night because I love you so much. Uh, I, want, I, want, I don't want you to just sit, okay? But we have some, some real needs uh, here, at, even here at Lower Town, of things that we, that we can do. Um, tonight we had two uh, ladies that were doing the hospitality. Um, they're the people who, who walk, you know, they open the doors and they set up the communion tables and, and all those different things, and, and there's only two of them, right? It'd be, it'd be great to have more. Um, a sound booth, you want to volunteer for that, and, and, um, uh, and you say, well, that's, I can't do something every week. This isn't every week. Now, you want something to do every week, I'll gladly, gladly give you something to do every week, um, but that's not what I'm asking for, that I want us to be able to step up and to help out, um, and so uh, that's, that's my call to that. Um, at the same time, though, it's not just about serving a church. I mean, I can't do that, or, or I, I don't, you know, it's just not my, not my thing. That's okay, right? So you say, man, I, I show up, that's hard enough for me, uh, to be consistently showing up, then that, listen, uh, please, please don't hear that. I'm just saying uh, we could use more, more help and more volunteers. Um, but at the same time, what are those awkward conversations that maybe we, we should be having, right? We're, we're a smaller church, which again, I love, right? I, I really do. I love the fact that I can look around and I, you know, tonight saw someone new and it's like, hey, you're new. Like, I, I actually enjoy that. Um, and so, but one thing though, I think that we need to do is just get out of our comfort zone. Right, to say, yeah, I'm a believer, I've, I've committed to um, uh, worshiping King Jesus, but I, my neighbor or my coworker or even some of my friends, just they don't really know what I believe. And it is awkward, it is uncomfortable. But I think that when we say, here I am, send me, yes, Jesus, I'm here, I'm going to bow the knee to you, it, it's hard sometimes. Do I value friendship with certain people over their salvation? Right? And, I, and, I, and I'm guilty of that. Man, if I talk about this now, I don't know if they'll ever talk to me again. And that's hard. It is hard. It's not meant to be easy. Anyways, going back to Exodus. So Moses says this. So I have come down to rescue them. God says, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the promised land. The promise that was made to Abraham over 400 years ago. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And right here, this is where Moses has an identity crisis. He says this, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? All right, that, that little phrase there, who, who am I? And we've all probably been there. Uh, maybe some of you are in the middle of that right now. I know for me that happened when I was 18. I'll never forget this moment in my life where I was so confused. I was so confused about who God was, his relationship with me, and it just seemed like all of a sudden things started to click. And I realized something that I think Moses is about to realize. And there's two ways I think you can look at Moses asking this question, who am I? Right? That can be a humble way, which it can be in, interpreted that way. It could be a humble way of, of God, who am I that you would use me? Right? I, I'm, just, I'm just a nobody, right, to use the line that Pastor Steve uses all the time, right? I'm just some, uh, you know, kid from the Iron Range. Who am I, honestly, that you would use me to reach students at the U of M? Who, who am I? I? I don't think I'm worthy of that. I, there's got to be somebody else that's better than me. Right, that's, that's one way of looking at it. And the other way of looking at it is, no, no, who am I? Is there something about me? Is there something about my pedigree? Is there something about my gifting that you've seen in me that would make me good enough to, to convince Pharaoh to let your people go? Is that what he's asking? Who, no, really, who, who am I? And I think, we, again, we've, we've been there. We've done that. Who, who am I? 
Uh, God's called you to do X, Y, Z. And is it a humble, man, I don't think I can do that. But I, I don't think I can get up in front of people. I don't, I don't think I can consistently show up. I don't think I can, uh, whatever, right? Fill, fill it in, right? Man, God, I, I know that I really want to be in the worship team, but man, the people up there are just so good. I, don't, I just don't think I'm good enough for that, right? Whatever, whatever that may be. And God's, the God then gives his answer, and I love this. Moses says, who am I? And God says, I. Now, that's his response. Moses, it's not about you. Don't you get that? Right, yeah, I'm using you as a tool. I'm using you as a resource to do this great thing, to save many people alive, just like Joseph. It's not about you, but I will be with you. I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. You, you want a sign? I've sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Are you, you're going to worship, you're going to come back here. This is going to happen. I'm the God of the universe, and what I say is going to happen. You're going to set my people free, and you're going to come right here and worship me on this mountain. And Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Right? Because God hasn't revealed his name in a sense to them yet. Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. There's power in this name. And I love, again, what one author says here. I am that I am, replies God. The verbs, uh, haya, be to, uh, to or sorry, excuse me, to be, connotating, continuing, unfinished action. I am being that I am being. Or, I am the ising one. Right? It doesn't translate to English all that well, but it's this continual thing, self-existent one. That is the one who always is, not conceptual being. Being, the abstract but active being, is the intent of this reply. It is a reply that suggests that this is inappropriate to refer to God as was or will be, for the reality of this active existence can be suggested only by the present is or ising, always is or am. That's what he's saying. The this, this self-existent, eternal being who is, is who is sending you. And God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me in the, in the, and said, I have watched over you and I've seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up from your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Remember this promise I made to Abraham over 400 years ago. It's, it's happening now. The elders of Israel will listen to you, and then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt, go to Pharaoh, and say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness. When I initially was reading through this and studying this a couple months ago, I just, I, it, was, it was kind of like this epiphany that I had, oh, it's a three day, just a three-day journey? I always thought like Moses showing up like, let my people go, right? And it's like, oh, he just wanted like a three, he just wanted three days off. Like that's all he's asking for. Uh, that's not the case, which I'll get to in a second. I want to take a three-day journey in the wilderness and offer sacrifices to Yahweh our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. And so this is what one author says about this three-day journey. How is let us make a three-day journey uh, functions in the speech Moses and the elders of Israel were to make, uh, were to make Pharaoh? Um, the time requested is minuscule compared to the time actually uh, expected. Okay, three-day journey was an idiom in the ancient world for a major trip with formal consequences. Okay, it's very different than just a, you know, I'm going to take a three-day holiday. 
Pharaoh would have heard it that way and would have also have heard it as meaning we want to leave Egypt for however long we choose. Moreover, the demand of the people to offer sacrifices to Yahweh our God was yet another way of implying without quite saying in so many words that the people would leave Egypt since as develops later in the actual event, uh, when we get there in chapter 10, the Israelites expected to worship Yahweh far from Egypt at Mount Sinai. Right, they're expecting to travel that 150, 200 miles back to Mount Sinai, completely out of and free from any Egyptian oversight, having taken all their possessions with them. So that's what that three-day journey thing means, which was completely news uh, to me as I was studying this. Exodus 3, again, back in verse 20, says, So I will stretch out my hand, and I will strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. God is just telling Moses exactly what's going to happen. He says, and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed. I think it's, just a, it's a really interesting uh, word. It's kind of like a coworker uh, who gets fired, and it's like, you know, they didn't do a very good job working, but, you know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of sad to see them go. You know, it's kind of like this. It's like a good and negative at the same time. Uh, we're, 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 we're sad and happy to see them go. They're going to be favorably disposed towards this, this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians, right? So, hey, Egyptian master, I'm leaving. Oh, before you go, here, why don't you take some of my gold, right? That's what, that's what God says is going to happen here. All right. Before Abraham was, I am. So we just got to God the Father, Yahweh saying, I am has sent you. And again, we consult that biblical roadmap. Is there anywhere else that this points to? Yes, it goes directly to Jesus. And so in John chapter 8, setting this stage here, like normal in this passage, at least in John, you've got Jesus and he's having a conversation with the Pharisees. He's having a conversation with the religious leaders. And so the Jews, these religious leaders, answered Jesus Right? Aren't we right by saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Okay? Jesus had just performed a miracle, and they say, oh, we know how you're doing all this stuff. You're demon-possessed. All right? And Jesus says, uh, I am not possessed by a demon. <laughs> all right? Like, yeah, yep, yep, you got me. You, court, you figured it out. I am a demon. No. Right? No, I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Verily, verily, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, this is all about me, right? He does the opposite of Moses. Who am I? He says, uh, it's about God. It's about the Father. So he says this. So that's that verily, verily, truly, truly, right? Emphasis is added. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you now. I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And at this they exclaimed, well now we know that you're demon possessed. Abraham died and so did all the prophets and yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. There it is again. Not about me, it's about God. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. All right, you, you, you know, like, there's a little bit of sarcasm put on here, right? Oh, and see, if I lie, well, then I'd just be just like you guys, right? I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him. And I obey his word, thing. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And he saw it and was glad. And they said to him, you are not 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? They're just mocking him. He says, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Drop the mic. Right? That, like that's, that's the moment. There's, there's sometimes where people read through Scripture, and, and I've been asked this question many times. Why is it that Jesus is so um, 
uh, what do you call it? Like he's not so assertive in just saying, I'm God, right? He shows up and says, hey, everybody, I want you to know I'm God. This is as clear as you could possibly do this. Why? Because the people that he's teaching, the Jews, would have had the first five books of the Torah memorized, first five books of our Bible. They would have known Exodus that we just read, literally memorized it. They know the story. They know that he says that the God of the universe, Yahweh, says, I am has sent you. And he says, before Abraham was, thousands of years ago, I am. Whoa. There's power in the name. He says, I, I am God. I'm the same God who said that to Moses. That's as clear as it gets. So much so, they pick up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. All right, that, it was a big statement, enough so that they picked up stones to kill him. And, and I can't imagine, I, and it would, how difficult would this be? And, and Steve, uh, Pastor Steve has really challenged me to kind of read myself as the bad guy in these stories. Right, that when I read this passage, that are there times where someone shows up and they're, they're really teaching me something about God, and I am so quick to pick up the stone and not to listen to them. Right, I put myself in their shoes. Right, this, is, this is the equivalent to someone walking like right in here, right now, right into a church service, into the temple, coming in and saying, hey, I'm going to perform a miracle. Anyone want bread? Here you go. Here's some bread. Here's some bread. Gives everyone bread, just makes it out of nothing, and says, I'm Jesus. The one that you're all waiting to come back, that's me. Uh, I don't know what you just did there. It must be a demon, right? It, it'd be so easy to just, you, that can't be. It's not how I read my Bible. I, I don't understand, and that's what's going on here. So he slips away from the temple grounds. And John 18, a little later on, this is right, this is the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus betrayed. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, knew the garden, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And so Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. And Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is that you want? Right? <laughs> He's baiting them. Because right? he literally just says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who do you want? Right? Why is he asking a question? Jesus of Nazareth, they reply. What's he say? I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. All right, he just says, I am, again. And they fall to the ground. And again, he asked them, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't catch it quite clearly the first time. Who is that you want? Uh, they're probably a little more timid this time. <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go, the disciples with them. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. That is the I am. That is the creator of the universe. That is the son of God. That is the spirit that dwells in us. And so just in closing, two gospel applications, and I'll actually at this time ask the, the worship team to, to go ahead and come back up. First question is, who are you? Right? You, might be, you might be having that, just, I, I don't know where I'm at. Because I think we all have those identity things, right? For me at the time when I was 18, it was, um, I don't have a dad. It was, uh, am I a fundamentalist? I was really wrestling with that one for a long time. It was all these things. Am I just a sinner? Putting myself in these, these camps, that sure, does that help dictate where I am and what kind of man I am today? Yes, but is that who I am? And I hope that the answer, and I hope that all of you that might be trying to figure it out, right, whatever the age you are of, man, really deep down inside, who am I? Yeah, I'm a pastor vocationally. I'm a husband. I'm a father. Those are titles, but who am I? I am a, I'm a child of the king. And when we read Paul, especially in Galatians and Ephesians, hundreds of times, he says, you are in Christ. That's my identity. My identity is in Christ. And when something comes up that if, that if my identity was hung up in, in, in being, a, being a, a husband, 
right? And, and we've all, we, I, I witnessed it, right? If my, if my mom's identity was hung up in being a wife and then loses her husband, it's the end of the world. But if our identity is in Christ and we go through a major crisis, we're able to be upheld by God because I'm in him. I'm safe in him. Secondly, are you trusting in that great I am? Are you trusting that power that he gets in front of Moses and says, I'm the guy who made your mouth. We're going to get to that next week. I made you. And this is what you're going to do for me. Well, well who, who am I? You worry about me. This is about me. And I'm going to lead you through this. Do you trust that? Whatever the situation is going around you, unemployment or, or a, a, a bad roommate or, or whatever it may be, and you don't know how to figure out the situation, maybe instead of trying to figure it out, you should just say, God, what can I do here in this situation to glorify you? Are you trusting that great I am? Will you bow and pray with me this evening? <laughs> Heavenly Father, God, Again, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be uh, in this space, that we have the opportunity to read your scripture again without fear of anything that's going to happen to us, um, that we get to worship you with our, our, our time, with our hands, uh, with our money, with our voices, and that we would not make it about us. What can I do? What can I even do to serve? But what can I do to glorify God the Father? So God, I pray that as we go from this place that we would trust you, that we would rely in the great I am and knowing that you have sent your son to die for our sins, to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it is in his most precious name that we pray, amen. Um, we're gonna be entering into a time of communion. Uh, we do this every week and so we're gonna have the elements, the juice and the bread, and, and again, they're symbolic of, of remembering what Christ has done for us, the juice uh, representing the blood of Christ, the bread representing the body of Christ that was broken for us, and as we take these elements, as often as we take them, we do it in remembrance of him. Um, unfortunately, we don't have any gluten-free uh, option tonight, so uh, if that's something you need, uh, we don't have it, so uh, that shouldn't be an issue in the future, but just wanted to make sure that you're aware of that. Um, and so will you stand uh, with us tonight as we sing and worship and remember uh, the great I am and before Abraham was I am. <laughs>